0: Well, greetings, um, especially to our online viewers and the South Kansas City campus. So glad that y'all are able to join us. And good morning, 1030 service right here at OP. Um, Let's take just a minute to go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we come to you today um, just eager to experience you, eager to meet you in this space, to hear from you, who you are, and how it is that you want us to respond to you. So, Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to what you have for us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. William Shakespeare is the one who uh, penned the famous phrase, What's in a name? He argues that a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet, and he's not wrong. I mean, for most of us, our names were given to us before our parents ever knew who we were going to be or or what we were going to do. I had the name of my daughter, Isabella Grace, picked out before I ever knew I was pregnant. Our names have little to do with our personalities, our likes, our dislikes, or or what we're going to be when we grow up. If you would call a rose a weed, it's still going to smell just as sweet. Biblical names, however, are a little bit different. There's a whole lot packed in to biblical names, and, and more often than not, they have an, a, a more deep meaning than what we attach to them. <clears throat> Excuse me, sometimes names, biblical names, tell the story of an individual's birth. Like Isaac, whose name means laughter, because his mother laughed when she found out she would have a child in her old age. Sometimes biblical names relay a message that God wants to communicate, like Hosea's children who were born to his wife, Gomer. Each one communicated a message that God wanted to give to his people in Israel. Sometimes names establish an affiliation with God. Sometimes they're changed to establish authority to indicate a new beginning um, or a new direction in a person's life. Abram's name was changed to Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul. Sometimes names point to a future. They prophesy someone or something that is yet to come. And today we're going to take a look at one of those names. Isaiah was a prophet of God and he was born in the southern kingdom of Judah. When God gave the promised land to his people, he gave them one big territory that for Hundreds of years was one kingdom under King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. But after King Solomon, that was divided up into two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And Isaiah was from the southern kingdom. He prophesied from about 740 to 686 BC, and he prophesied um, during the time that the northern kingdom was falling to Assyria. Through Isaiah, God would reveal the full dimension of his judgment and the eternal beauty of his salvation. Israel would be punished, but they would also be redeemed through a coming Messiah. And through the 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah, we see numerous prophecies of the Messiah that is to come. He'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. He'll, he'll be born to a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. Though Israel now walks in darkness, they will see a great light. This Advent season, we're going to be exploring the four names that Isaiah prophesies over the coming Messiah in chapter 9, verse 6. The series is entitled, And He Shall Be Called. And today we're looking at the name, Wonderful Counselor. So it's our tradition to stand when we read scripture, so would you please stand with me while we read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Thank you. You may be seated. So um, those of you who know me, you may or may not be surprised that I'm a bit of a rule follower. So I have three points for you today because a good pastor will always have three points. That's what Pastor Jim says. So points today are what's in a name, how Jesus fulfills this name, and why that should matter to you. So what's in a name? The first name that Isaiah prophesies over the coming child is Wonderful Counselor. But but what did he mean by that? Was this supposed to be two different thoughts? Would he be called Wonderful and he would be called a Counselor, or, or was it two? Or were the two words combined into one title? I mean, t- t- it is true that Jesus is wonderful. That word can absolutely stand on its own as a descriptor of the coming messiah and there are a few bible translations like the king james version or the new king james or the modern english version that put a comma in between the word wonderful and counselor which make it read like two different descriptors well the hebrew bible doesn't include helpful things like punctuation um so we don't exactly know it could be read like that But based on the rest of the names given in in chapter 9, verse 6, it it feels like those two words are meant as one title. And the the majority of biblical translations treat it as, as such. So while we're going to look at both words, wonderful and counselor, we're going to treat them as one name. Isaiah wrote this prophecy during a tumultuous time in Israel's history. The dominant world power of the day was Assyria, and they were very much on the attack. The northern kingdom was falling. Uh, God's people were taken into captivity, and, uh, and they were in chaos. Isaiah was writing to remind the Israelites that a Messiah was coming who would establish his kingdom. Uh, He wanted to give them hope in a time that felt very chaotic and hopeless. Now, I don't know about you, but the more I read scripture and the more I study the cultural context of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the more I realize that there really is nothing new under the sun. It turns out that, that the, the, the worldviews and, and the culture 3,000 years ago when Isaiah was writing this was very much like the world that Jesus lived in in the first century B.C., and it's very much like the culture that we live in today. The people of God were and are the minority. We are a remnant. Living in a highly pagan society, an anti God culture. And it feels like everywhere around us is darkness. But Isaiah wanted to remind the people of his time, and and I want to remind you that things are not hopeless. Though we may now walk in darkness, there is a great light, a great light that came to earth as a baby in a manger. And this light will come again Isaiah emphasizes in this verse that the Messiah would come as a child not just God come to earth but God born on earth both human and divine God would not defeat Israel's enemies by raising a larger more powerful army he wasn't raising up some powerful military leader but sending a child a baby to be born in a manger and that child, that son, would be called wonderful counselor. We use the word wonderful when things are pleasant or, or lovely or the least bit likable. But that doesn't quite capture what Isaiah is saying here the Messiah isn't just gonna cause us to be full of wonder he would be so much more than that the Hebrew word in this passage Pele literally means incomprehensible Jesus is wonderful in a way that is boggling to the mind the same word that's used here for wonderful is also used in Judges chapter 13, verse 18, when Samson's father encounters the Lord. Samson's father asks the Lord what his name is, and the angel of the Lord responds, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. Some translations will say, uh, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Or too wonderful. For you to understand or beyond comprehension that's the full meaning of this word wonderful scholar John Barnett writes the Hebrew word Pela wonderful indicates something uncommon or out of the ordinary it reflects a phenomena lying outside the realm of human explanation that which is separated from the normal course of events something that cannot be explained it's wonderful. It's incomprehensible. The second part of the first name given to the coming Messiah is counselor. In its historical Hebrew usage the word created uh, the, the word would create this picture of a king giving counsel to his people. We see this word used in Micah chapter 4 verse 9. Micah says to the captives in Babylon, "Now why do you cry aloud?" Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? This counselor, this king, is a wise and trusted ruler who gives good counsel and has wisdom to share. Like a, like a King Solomon, only an incomprehensible version of that. So while Isaiah doesn't outright call this coming child a king, there's no doubt that the Hebrew audience would have heard the term wonderful counselor as a kingly title, Isaiah is essentially saying, Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and he will be an incomprehensible, mind boggling king, a wise and trusted rule unlike any that you have ever seen. He will be a wonderful counselor. So, how does Jesus fulfill this name? How do we know that this verse, this particular name, is a prophecy that is fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth? How is it that Jesus is a wonderful counselor? Well, there's no doubt that Jesus' counsel is incomprehensible. It's, he, he, he is um, mind boggling in what he says. He says it's the poor and the meek who will be blessed and the rich who will be punished. He condemns the religious leaders of his day, and he, he pardons the sinners. He tells people to love their enemies, to turn the other cheek when they're attacked, and to rejoice in their suffering. His words, his wisdom, his actions, and his counsel are absolutely incomprehensible. They don't make sense in our limited human understanding. And it's wonderful. Jesus' kind of wonderful is awe-inspiring. It's superior to any other kind of wonderful that we might think that we can find. As far as a counselor, a, a wise and trusted ruler, Matthew chapter 4, verse 40, 48 se- describes Jesus as perfect in every way. Paul writes in Colossians that Jesus knows all wisdom and knowledge. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus always chose the right path. And James tells us to just ask, and he will give us wisdom. The New Testament consistently points to Jesus' wisdom, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, and his godly kingship. Matthew Henry writes, Justly is he called wonderful, for he is both God and man. His love is the wonder of angels and glorified saints. In his birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he was wonderful, A constant series of wonders attended him. And without controversy, great was the mystery of godliness concerning him. Henry further states that Jesus, being counseled by God, gives great counsel to his people. He cares about the welfare and holds extraordinary wisdom. We can consult him and he will direct our paths. This is Jesus, a wonderful counselor. But I want to make sure that you really see Jesus as a wonderful counselor. So I want to take a look at at one example that I think proves Jesus truly is the wonderful counselor that Isaiah is prophesying about in Isaiah 9:6. Our story is found in John chapter 5. Jesus is in Jerusalem and he goes to a pool called Bethesda where he encounters an invalid lying next to a pool that is said to have healing powers. Now, this man had been sick for 38 years, and he'd received no healing, no help, he had had no reprieve from his illness for 38 years. Can you even imagine being trapped in an illness for 38 years? Well, maybe it's not a physical ailment or, or a sickness, but in my experience, sin can have just as much power over me as a debilitating illness and here's here's the truth little confessions of a pastor it is rare that during my time of confession in prayer that I confess a new sin now don't get me wrong I have something new to confess every single day but usually it's a new rendition of an old sin that has been holding me captive my whole life. Like, like the Apostle Paul, there are some things, there's some thorns in my side, there's some lies I believe, and some idols that I hold to, and some behaviors that I cling to, that I just cannot seem to shed. And they've been around a lot longer than 38 years over and over and over again I will confess my sin I will repent of it from my heart and the very next day I will end up in the exact same place am I alone in that I am 100% the invalid in this story so when Jesus looks at the man by the pool and asks him do you want to get well do you want to receive healing i feel those words in my soul and i want you to see how incomprehensible this wisdom is i mean of course the man wants to get well who doesn't want to get well we all want to get well don't we don't we i mean we probably do or or at least we would if we could Unless getting well means that I have to give up the sin in my life. Unless getting well means letting go of that one thing that I've placed my identity in. That one thing that that I cling to for comfort and distraction from the reality of my life. Unless Unless getting well means giving up what I know about myself, who I think that I am. I'm not sure what life would look like without this thing. And so just like the invalid, I'm quick to offer up excuses to Jesus, reasons why this sin will always be a part of me. Well, I can't get to the healing I need by myself, Jesus. Because it turns out that maybe I don't want to get well. But like the wonderful counselor that he is, this incomprehensible, wise and trusted ruler, Jesus looks at the invalid and tells him to get up and walk. Jesus makes him well even when the man is not able to say for himself that healing is what he wants. I love this story. And don't get me wrong, it's not just a story. This is a real man who really existed and had a real life interaction with a living God. I cannot wait to talk to this man in heaven. I don't know what his name is, but I'm going to find him because I have some questions for him. But how does this, how does this man and, and this interaction prove that Jesus is the wonderful counselor and not just a miraculous healer? It's a story of healing. How does it demonstrate that he is a wonderful counselor? Well it is incomprehensible. I mean nobody but God could bring healing to a man trapped in illness, illness for decades who isn't even sure that he wants to be healed it is truly mind-boggling if you let yourself step out of the fam- the familiarity of the story and if you just look at it with fresh eyes this is amazing it is wonderful in every sense of the word and what we find out right after this man gets up and walks is that this happened on the sabbath and the man who hasn't walked in 30-plus years, he gets reprimanded by the Jewish officials because he's walking around holding his mat. Forget the fact that this man hasn't walked in decades. Let's focus on the fact that he's carrying a mat. And, and Jesus gets in trouble because he, also, he did healing on the Sabbath. And the interaction that Jesus has with the Jewish officials is what proves that he is a wonderful counselor a wise and trusted ruler jesus says to the to the jewish officials my father is working until now and i am working this is why the jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the sabbath but he was even calling god his own father making himself equal with god Jesus is God. He is equal in nature and substance and glory, equal to God himself. Ruler of all creation. He is a wonderful counselor, a wise and trusted ruler. And he doesn't stop at just healing the invalid by the pool. When Jesus sees him later on at the temple, Jesus counsels him. He tells the invalid, to sin no more. And he points the man to the holy living that we are all called to live. And while we don't know the rest of this man's story, I imagine that he spent the rest of his life telling anyone who would listen about the incomprehensible, mind-boggling healing he received from a wise and trusted ruler i think he called jesus a wonderful counselor so why does this matter to you well i think there are a few reasons that this should matter to you first off a wonderful counselor is somebody that we can listen to as someone who is wise and trustworthy jesus knows the next right thing to do and he can give us the strength to do it The man at the pool offered up excuses and reasons why his life could never change. But Jesus responded, here's what you need to do. Here's the next step for you. Here's the next right thing for you to do. And here's the really important part. Jesus gave him the strength to do it. This man wasn't just sitting by the pool being lazy. He could not walk. But Jesus gave him the strength to pick up his mat and walk away. And he will do the same for you if you will let him. He doesn't demand that we get things right before he's willing to help us. He came to the man in his broken state. And he will come to you in your broken state. And when Jesus is telling you to do something, that next right thing, he will always give you the strength to do it now he does not always show you the whole picture he doesn't always tell you what the end is going to look like he will just tell you the next thing i wish he gave you the whole picture i mean my life would be so much easier if i kind of knew where jesus was taking me on this journey but he doesn't usually work like that i think jesus wants us constantly leaning into him constantly asking what do we do next And constantly listening to him and when you ask Jesus what is it you want me to do next and you listen to that answer he will give you the strength to do it because Jesus is a wonderful counselor we can listen to him a wonderful counselor is somebody that we can trust Let's face it, things don't always go according to plan. They don't always turn out the way we want or expect them to. But Jesus is trustworthy. And because he knows all things, he knows that when things in our life seem out of control, when they seem destined for destruction, that God can use that for our own good. He knows that when people want to harm us, that he can use that for his glory. God can work all things for his good because, and because Jesus knows this and, and so much more than we could ever understand, we can trust him. The man by the pool had no reason to believe that anything had changed. His circumstances hadn't changed. Jesus hadn't laid hands on him. He didn't pray over him. He didn't lift him up and put him in the pool. He didn't do anything that would indicate that things in the invalid's life had changed. But when Jesus spoke, the man trusted his words. And he got up and he walked. The man believed Jesus knew something that he didn't know. He trusted his words and stood up. We can trust Jesus' words too. When Jesus tells us to rejoice in our suffering, we can trust that there is something there to rejoice in. When Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow, we can trust that he has tomorrow taken care of. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, we can trust him to protect us. When our kids wander from the faith, we can trust Jesus to bring them back. And when he tells us to stay in a marriage that is hard, we can trust him to carry us through. And when that thing that he's telling us to do seems counterintuitive, it seems incomprehensible because it goes against the very fiber of our being, we can trust Jesus. He knows more than we know, he sees things that we cannot see, he understands things we cannot get because Jesus is a wonderful counselor you can trust him. A wonderful counselor is someone we should obey. When Jesus was talking with the Jewish authority after healing the man by the pool, he made it very clear that God was his father, that he was God, that he had authority that we in our humanness do not have. Jesus is is king he is the ruler of the earth and as ruler he has the voice of authority that we are to obey now you might disagree with me on this next point but i feel like our culture um, is pushing really hard against authority right now i feel like words like obey or submit or even sin are, are are being pushed against we don't want to be told what to do or what to think or how to act. And I get that. I do. But here's, here's what you need to understand. You will fall under the authority of somebody or something. You will either be under the authority of somebody who wants what's best for you. Or you can be under the authority of something that wants to destroy you. The choice Is yours you can either choose to obey a wise and trusted ruler or you can take your chances with someone else Jesus is a wonderful counselor I encourage you to obey him now in order to listen to to trust and to obey Jesus you have to know Jesus you have to know his word and know what he says. If you don't know this man, Jesus, we would love to help you with that. If you don't know how to listen to Jesus or, or how to understand his words, Jesus speaks through the scripture. He, he speaks through the Bible. And if you don't know how to pick up the Bible and read it in a way that you can get out of it what Jesus is saying to you, we want to help you with that. And right now our groups are on a break. We take a break over the holidays. But come January, we're going to have new groups starting up that will help you get to know Jesus as a wonderful counselor. Well, these groups will help you read scripture. They'll help you understand who Jesus is and listen to his voice of authority. And they'll put you in the Christian community that encourages you to obey his words. So I invite you to join us. In January in in a group of your choice a few thousand years ago Isaiah prophesied a child would be born and the world would call him wonderful counselor he would be an incomprehensible mind-boggling wise and trusted ruler that child was Jesus and because he is a wonderful counselor We can listen to him. We can trust him. And we should obey him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this child who came, this wonderful counselor who came to this earth as a baby who spoke wise counsel, who set a godly example, who leads and guides through his words and his actions. Jesus, we ask you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to dwell in each of us that we might listen to and trust and obey the words that you are speaking to us even now today. Lord, would you be our wonderful counselor? Would you show us who you are? Would you show us how even today all around us you are proving that you are the wonderful counselor that we can trust and that we should obey? In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.